Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm joined with Tim Ringgold. He's a board-certified music therapist, columnist, author, and host of the podcast, Reduce Your Stress. Tim is also an award-winning international speaker. He shared the stage with top minds on music, brain, and personal development, including Tony Robbins. And he's also the first person to give a TED Talk on music therapy, which was done in 2012. He is a friend and colleague, and I'm honored to have the opportunity to share him with you. Thank you for being here, Tim. Thanks so much for having me today, Kelly. I really appreciate it. One of the reasons why Tim ended up on the podcast is we've been talking about the pandemic and stress and what it's been doing to those of us who are the caregivers, the first emotional responders in this current <laughs> society and what we've been facing and how the stress has been, I mean, through the roof comparatively. And I know you work a lot with stress management and um, all the different things that therapists face. So thank you for being here. I'm really excited to learn from you, honestly, um, and for other therapists to just Take a moment and let's just talk about what is going on for therapists and what we can do to take care of ourselves. Yeah, I'm really passionate about people understanding. You know, there's this joke, how do you boil a frog? Do you know mm -hmm. that one? Yes. Yeah, and the answer is slowly, mm -hmm. right? And so our our collective society has tightened the 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 noose no, like for real on stress in collectively throughout. Before COVID, life expectancy in the United States dropped for the last three years because of suicides and overdoses. Mm. We were already redlining it mm -hmm. as a society. When we change our clocks and we lose one hour of sleep, there is a 22% increase in hospitalizations nationwide for heart attack the following day. One hour of sleep. You take wow. one hour of sleep away. That's how much our culture has been redlining their physical and their mental well-being before COVID. Right. And then COVID, I mean, the land of uncertainty. You know, as human beings, we value certainty some of us value it more than others. Um, but our future as adults is predictable. Uh, as adolescents and children, it's explosive and dynamic, and we love the we love the uncertainty. But as adults, you know, we're booking our vacations, we're planning our vacation weeks. Like we know, you know, pretty much where we're gonna be a year from now, it's gonna be similar to where we were at this point. And so what COVID has done is it's taken the future away suspended it in a sense yeah totally you cannot predict with any accuracy uh where you're going to be what you're going to be doing what your business is going to look like what your family is going to look like if you have school age kids are they going to be at school is it going to be hybrid are they going to be home is your neighbor going to neighborhood going to be in lockdown so here we are in a society that's already redlining and then we hit covid and we're healthcare workers so we're frontline you know, uh, service workers in this society. And we're expected to just show up cup full and deal with the increase in demand for our services, the increase in acuity 
of our clients, right? And somehow be more available to more people and and have everything working in our lives. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, and then keep up an illusion that I've got it together. (laughs) Well, and I think more than ever, I think we always find similarities with our clients, right? There is, we find people, but now we have a collective trauma that we're all simultaneously processing and all simultaneously impacted by. So the helper is experiencing the same trauma and still facilitating healing for the client that's coming in. And I think it's more intense than in any other situation I've seen because of the collectiveness of it. Yes, um, totally. And there, and it's, we are not immune. Um, no, <laughs> no. It'd be really nice if we were, I think sometimes, but we are not. And I, I, I think that's something interesting that I've learned from you or that I appreciate about your message of just making like having compassion and an openness to looking at ourselves and saying, look, I've got stuff too, and I need to take care of myself. And we're not talking about bubble baths no. and things like that. We're no. talking about some of the, the neurobiology that's involved in that, the brain and, and just how we are made as human beings and how to work with that within the context of unusual circumstances in a field that is there to be of service. Yeah, really well said. You know, our our nervous system is something, I don't know about you, but when I was going through school, I was taught I had one. Mm-hmm. And then they showed me a nerve cell, which looked weird. Mm-hmm. And it had like, you know, sharp eds and it had a word called axon and dendrites and myelin sheath and I was already lost, right? And then, and I that was about the extent of my exposure to the nervous system. Uh, I heard about it having, I had this parasympathetic nervous system and this sympathetic nerve. Wait, Mm -hmm. I have two nervous systems. I'm so confused. What's going on here? And so as a professional in my world of music therapy, as a clinician, uh, there are different theoretical foundations that you can kind of cruise through your education. Uh, You know, some people are like Jungian, some people are, um, humanistic. Some people are psychoanalytic. Some people uh, are very much informed by neuroscience and mm-hmm. what we, we call um, a biomedical uh, approach to music as therapy. And so we're looking at the interaction of music on the brain and the nervous system from a very, very neuroscience research base, which is very different than a lot of other places that therapists will inform their practice from. And what I noticed was I started like getting slammed up against what the nervous system is, what its job is. And when it's working properly, what it does and how all of that can be very distinct from what our culture thinks that it should be doing. Hmm. And I'll give you an example. So the stressed brain craves. Cravings are an attempt to self-soothe. It's a regulation mechanism. And it's by design. And my experience culturally was that cravings are bad and I shouldn't crave things. And and that anytime I crave, I should be able to overcome my cravings. Well, 
my nervous system is not designed to be overcome. It's designed to be followed. It's, it's in charge. And so I, I was amazed when I heard Gabor Mate at a conference one day say, a craving is your brain's way of trying to love itself. Mm. Wow. No one had ever given craving permission to be. And so it like suddenly my whole world started to, to look at how we regulate as human beings. And, and so the way I think about it is as a human being, I I'm inside of this body of mine that regulates itself and responds to the world very appropriately. So when I'm in connection mode and I feel safe, you know, I'm in that, you know, ventral vagal state, that parasympathetic nervous system, I really feel safe to connect with people. And for me, the, the number one verb in the world is connect. Mm -hmm. Like that's what it's all about. Human beings are designed and wired to connect to the outside world. And then something happens some sort of internal or external threat occurs in my awareness and I switch gears and I move into what we would call a sympathetic nervous system response or what most people are familiar with is fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Right. And now I'm in, in, instead of connect, I want to protect mm -hmm. and instead of create, I want to react. And this is all by design. This is not, this is not, a function of consciousness. This is like, this is the wiring. This is the way it's meant. Mm -hmm. And so when that kind of stress happens, my nervous system craves automatically by design okay. to calm yeah. down. And what I came across was this truth, which was everybody reaches for something mm. when they get stressed mm -hmm. by design. And if you think of a baby, a baby reaches for its thumb or a pacifier to self-soothe. Mm -hmm. And as we grow, we explore the external world around us looking for things to regulate with. Mm -hmm. And so we reach out into the world for things to calm us back down by design. Mm -hmm. And so some of us find things that work and they don't really have a positive or negative like consequence afterwards. It just works in the moment. Great. Mm -hmm. Some of us find things, we try things out, they don't work. And then some of us find things that work in the moment, but then they have a negative consequence afterwards. There's some like, you know, uh, fallout, let's say, yes. mm -hmm. from, from that regulation. But my nervous system doesn't care about that. Right. It's not interested. It's not designed to have a thought about that. It's just designed to re-regulate as soon as possible. I mean, one of the things is you and I had told you, and Miranda and I had reached out about doing this podcast because we feel like um, it's not often talked about in our field that some of the cravings are ones with a lot of fallout that we reach for. Yes. And that if we were to title this podcast, Relapse Prevention for Therapists in Stressful Times, people wouldn't listen to it because relapse or recovery or addiction feels like it applies to drugs, alcohol, sex, you know, these kind and gambling, there you, you know, go. the, what you find in your eyes, you know, in your diagnoses there kind you of go. manual. Sure. And, but really kind of normalizing that we've been under a lot of stress and some of us are craving things that are old, um, familiar, 
but maybe not what is most helpful in healing. Yeah. 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 That's really, really well said. You know, I think there's, there's a word when you described those different addictions that, that runs through them, which is shame. Right. Right. So there's this, there's this shame that we experience when we reach for something that we conceptually, we know it's not good for us, but in the moment we don't care. And frankly, the amygdala does is not interested in whether something's legal, healthy, <laughs> or socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. Doesn't care. It just wants what works in the moment. That's all. And so we're fighting like a losing battle in that moment, right? And we heap upon each other and upon ourselves this idea of shame over these behaviors. And I really, I, I really encourage people who are listening to my voice right now to really think about behavior. Really, this is like alcohol. It's the behavior of drinking. Mm-hmm. It's not the alcohol. Because if alcohol, if it was, if it was the substance, everybody who drank would be addicted. They're not. So it's just not the substance. And this is something that really triggers and like gets the the hair on the back of a lot of therapists neck up where they're like, no substances are addictive. And I'm like, really? Well, then why is not everybody who uses them? The overwhelming majority of people who drink and do drugs actually stop of their own volition. The overwhelming majority by the numbers they use for about a 10 year period recreationally and they stop of their own accord. There's a very small percentage that actually become addicted. So what is it? It's not, it's not the chemical. It's that that behavior solves a problem. Mm -hmm. It solves this stress. The stress is a pain to the nervous system and it solves it. It works. And so they feel this shame, like some reason I shouldn't be doing this. I know this works, but I shouldn't do it, right? And so the interesting thing I notice uh, with clients, with peers, is that they can shame themselves or others over all kinds of different behavior, mm-hmm. right? So it can be food. You know, like I said, everybody reaches for something when they get stressed. Could And it, it could be beer, it could be wine, yep, or worse, right? But it could be your pantry. Mm-hmm. It could be your fridge, right? It could be your phone, it could be the Netflix button on your remote control. Hey, hey, hey. There, see, now I, there I said it. Oh, man, let me tell you, whenever I'm speaking at a conference and I say the Netflix button, that is like so funny because more people will, will like react to that. And, and I say to them, well, let's just think about it for a second. Like if we use the word binge eating, mm-hmm. binge drinking, it's like diagnostic criteria. But if we say binge watching, we're all like, woohoo, it's what did you binge watch this weekend? It's, <laughs> it's a, a meme. meme. Yeah. <laughs> How did you spend Thanksgiving? I was on Netflix happily. You know, yeah. I we finished The Crown. I got into The Queen's Gambit. Now I'm into <laughs> Barbarian. You know, like happily, right? We don't think about that at all. But all we're trying to do, if I'm going to date myself, is, is like, Calgon, take me away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're just trying to escape that stress. And we find something that works. And we reach for it again and again. I think, you know, actually I had coaching clients today. And one of the things that we were talking about is the, the feeling of burnout, the feeling of overwhelm, what worked before, Mm. uh, the healthy coping as we often refer to it, but the things that we enjoyed have been taken away. So, Mm. you know, for me, Disneyland taken away or (laughs) travel taken away. Uh, group get-togethers taken away. So some of those things that 
I've, I have, and my clients have worked to explore and nurture and give honor to are currently again, suspended Yes. in this unknown. And so it's like, well, what comes in place and what comes in place is often these older patterns or new cravings because what was there is no longer. And so yes. I think the longer this goes on and that is continuing for a lot of us. Yeah. It's a common thing. And if, if we were all to just say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to fill and satiate these cravings in whatever yep. way, Yep. we might be able to find a different way to heal than, than what we have before. It's an opportunity, I think. And that's what I like I really enjoy what you do with music therapy of looking at that as a way to heal because that is accessible and something we can all do. Can you talk a little bit about the music for healing that craving? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's something, you know, when I was getting my degree in music therapy, I got really frustrated because a lot of my classes felt like tales of the obvious <laughs> because each one of us already has a very personal and powerful relationship with music. I don't introduce music to anybody. It's the greatest gig ever because most people overwhelmingly already have a positive association with it. Mm -hmm. They use it for entertainment and they use it for education, but they also use it as a therapeutic tool in their own life. And they already know this because if you've ever made a playlist mm -hmm. or a blank CD or back in the day, a mixtape. Mixtape. Remember? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You've, you've prescribed yourself music. Mm -hmm. So uh, a playlist or a mixtape or a blank CD, yeah, it could be greatest hits. But oftentimes it's a curated list of music that has meaning for you and moves you either from state A to state B or allows you to, to operate at a higher level, at a peak state. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will multitask to music. Mm -hmm. And that's a very common, whether or not they consider themselves musical, they routinely multitask to music. So they either exercise to music and it increases their endurance or they work to music and it increases their focus or they drive to music and it you know, increases kind of their endurance, right? Road trip uh, or the flip side, they commute to music and it lowers their, literally lowers their blood pressure. In, in fact, here in SoCal on one of the classical stations at 5 p.m., they have what they call the car tune and it's an acronym for classical anti road rage tune <laughs> every weekday. And it's like the most relaxing thing you have ever heard. And you're just like, Oh, that is so nice. And I love it. Cause I think it's like literally like a public service to the airwaves <laughs> you know, the freeways of Southern California could use, you know, all the help they could get. Mm -hmm. So it's a very uh, kind of an organic experience we've all had with music. Um, it we, we know music soothes us emotionally. We know music soothes our spirit. And what my degree in and, and my uh, study specifically in is how music affects the brain and body and turns off that stress response. And what's fascinating, what the research shows is that music will initiate the, what they call the relaxation response where the parasympathetic nervous system reactivates, right? Faster than any oral medication, wow. which is really powerful because a lot of people get prescribed oral medication for mood management. Doesn't guarantee that they don't 
end up the stressed. Like then what? Right? You're already on medication. Of course, you're still going to get stressed throughout the course of your day. That medication is not guaranteed to turn off the stress response in your nervous system. So then what do we do? So for me, it's really become like this game of just understanding my nervous system. That it's like a three-speed bike. That's the way I think mm-hmm. about it. I got this first gear is like chill, connect, rest and digest is the way some people hear of it. I got that second gear, that fight flight response, right? And then I got that third gear, the shutdown, the trauma, you know, gear, uh, dorsal vagal uh, state and understanding what gear my nervous system's in and how to reach for music to reset it. And the beauty is that it resets it. You know, you've had this experience, you've been in a state and a song comes on and before the song is over, you know, you feel it in your body that your state has shifted and you probably never really thought too much about it. You might've been grateful in the moment, but as soon as I explain the science behind it and I tell people like one of the number one things you can do is create for yourself what I call a power playlist. Mm-hmm. It's just three songs that fire you up. They're, they only need to be meaningful to you. And when you feel that that nervous system is shifted and you're stressed, you you get up from whatever screen you're looking at, first of all, and you put in your earbuds and you have this playlist already on your phone. It's like ready and waiting. And you turn on the playlist and you go for a walk and you just walk to the beat. It's roughly 10 minutes. All of us can take a 10 minute break throughout the day. Mm-hmm. If you can't, we have, we have other things to talk about. <laughs> right. But if you can't make time uh, for yourself like that, yeah, there's other issues. But you get up and you go for a walk. You walk to the beat, hum the music, sing the music along or not, hum it in your head. By the time you get back, you'll be reset. You'll be at your best. You'll be in connection mode. And you won't send that email, that text, or that phone call that you'll regret later. Mm-hmm. And that is easy for anybody because you don't have to be musical, right? All you have to do is be able to make a playlist and playlists are, you know, free at this point, you know, and you can use any kind of app that you want uh, these days. And we've never had more access to free music than we do today. Can I ask you what's on your playlist? Yeah. So uh, (laughs) sure. I've got a couple of different tracks on mine and I like dance music. Uh-huh. So I've got like um, some EDM on there and I've got a song uh, from Macklemore because uh, mm. he's very inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, in fact, I'm pulling it up right now. Where is my playlist? There it is. It's called Can't Hold Us uh, mm-hmm. featuring Ryan Lewis. And like I just, that song for me it's when I hear song. Yeah, when I hear he he Macklemore just inspires the, you know what out of me um and then there's this edm song called animals which is an instrumental tune but i just love the beat and i it i i heard it this is an interesting story at tony robbins unleash the power within mm-hmm. which is an immensely powerful very powerful event which i highly recommend anybody to go to um and the first time i heard it was at that event so now i have a very strong neuro association right. between the event what I learned at the event, what I felt at the event, and this song. So it really puts me back. Same with the Macklemore song. And then there's a song called Ain't No Grave by Bethel Music. Um, when I hear that song, I am just like, I can take on the world by the oh. time that song is over. Yeah. So, so one of the ways to satiate the craving is to make your playlist, to change your state. That's it. 
Awesome. Yeah. And the other one is just to make music along with the music you enjoy. So whether or not you consider yourself musical, everybody has, we are rhythm machines. So your heart beats in rhythm, you walk in rhythm, you breathe in rhythm, you chew in rhythm, you sleep in rhythm, and everybody scratches an itch in perfect rhythm. So it's really easy to actually tap, snap, clap, hum, rap, sing along with music. We're not all going to be on The Voice. We're not all going to be on America's Got Talent. It's not a a competitive sport. It's just about enjoying it for ourselves. And even if you put in your playlist and you hum along in your head, it's called audiating, that still pulls your attention into the present moment to be matching pitch, matching tempo, matching words. And when we make music, music is time-based. So it's in the present moment. Now we all talk about mindfulness as a really healthy practice. The problem is you got to think about it. Mm -hmm. So if you just listen to the music you enjoy and you engage your body in some way with the music, you are now in present time because you're activating your body. Mm -hmm. So if you're worried about the future, you put on your playlist, right? It pulls you out of the future because there's no control over the future, right? All that anxiety is, there's no control. There's control of your body. You can control tapping along. If you're ruminating over the past, right? Resentment, guilt, all the things that go along with the past, there's, you can't do anything about any of that. You start snapping, tapping, clapping, singing along. You're, now you're in the present. So it's an easy tool for people to get out of their head and into their body because your body is the only is only in one place which is the present moment so i i highly encourage people to always just engage their body with the music in some way because you know you can just listen to a song and it can actually take you out of the present moment if you're just listening mm-hmm. but if you're trying to engage with the song physically your body has to pay attention in the present so so you can make it you can listen to it and then the flip side is also true, which is that sometimes the stress is right here in the present and we want to take a break. That's what the whole escape thing is. We want to escape the present moment because that's where the stress is. So using what I call the relaxation vacation, which is a clinical tool that's evidence-based and field tested. I've used it with over, over a thousand clients now, over 12 years, uh, where I walk people out of the present moment using slow tempo, rhythmic music, my classical guitar. And I walk them back to a memory of their choosing where they felt safe and connected in the moment. And I walk them through their five senses. And they actually have a very powerful visceral experience of that because when you walk your awareness through your five senses, your emotional response will trigger in that moment to that memory. And then they can bring that positive state back into the present moment. When I'm at a conference, uh, I'll usually do it in about five minutes. The the full recorded version is 15 minutes. It's free uh, as a gift. Uh, I'd love to just, you know, just tell everybody, just go to sonicrecovery.com and just put in your name and your email address and I'll send it to you for free. You'll get an instrumental version you can use with your clients and do your own script if you want. Awesome. But one of the key things about using music for relaxation, Kelly, that most people don't understand is that like that spa music that doesn't have a beat is not indicated for people with trauma. Mm. That makes sense to me. (laughs) It's actually very disorganizing for the nervous system. The nervous system is a rhythm machine. So it wants a perceptible beat to entrain to. 
So if you give the autonomic nervous system a perceptible beat that's between 60 and 70 beats per minute, your nervous system will automatically entrain to it. Your heart rate will slow down, your blood pressure will slow down, your respiratory rhythm will slow down, all automatically. So that's a key thing if you're going to use relaxation music with your clients or for yourself. Use music with a perceptible beat and not that... (laughs) Right. That's really disorienting for the nervous system. It's interesting. I do holotropic breath work. Oh, cool. And the beats in there... So for those that don't know, it's, it's, you know, some breath work that's paired with a musical journey. So the music takes kind of like an emotional peak and then down Miranda actually introduced me to it and I've been doing it. And, um, but there is definite, like there's definite, the emotional arc is paired to the beat. I've noticed a lot of it and kind of like how much bass is used and, and, and such. And so to me, Yes, music is very emotional and healing. And so I love hearing these things because it reminds me of, oh yeah, that's why I tend to like start my day with certain music and end my day with other music and um, how how important it is to me. Um, So these have been really helpful kind of ways to integrate more of the music into my life. But Mm -hmm. yeah, with that, when you said that, like that, (laughs) sound it makes sense because when i'm in like a when i'm doing that holotropic breath work i need that beat for that kind of grounding yep um yeah it makes sense why i don't really like the spa music (laughs) it makes me feel a little better like oh it's not me no (laughs) it's just no yeah i'm needing more containment That's it. what it's providing yeah your your nervous system likes that structure and i uh when I was an intern, I was working in the uh, surgical intensive care unit at Scripps Memorial Hospital, not too far, in La Jolla, not too yeah. far from you. And I was seeing patients who were in a medically induced coma to slow down their hypertension with my guitar. Mm. And if, you know, their heart rate, their blood pressure, and their respiratory rhythms were on a monitor. And so I could go to the nurse's station and I could write what their pre-levels were. And then I would go into their room and I would take out my guitar and I would look at their heartbeat like it was a metronome. Mm -hmm. And I would just start playing along with their heartbeat. And after about five minutes, I would start to slow my guitar down just a little bit and their heart rate would follow. And I would spend anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes down-regulating their autonomic nervous system. And I knew this because at the end of the session, I could go back to the nurse's station and I could write down all the numbers. And you could see this very, very statistically significant drop in all three rhythms. And they were in a coma. Mm. So there's two things to that. One is... The auditory system is still working. It's still online, even when a patient's in a coma. They're just mm-hmm. non-responsive, but it doesn't mean they're not receiving auditory signal. Yeah, Autonomic nervous system is still responding to the environment. So say everything, if you have a loved one in a coma, mm-hmm. and then B, understand that rhythm and tempo impacts the human body at a very, very fundamental, very, very basic level. It's mm-hmm. And it's not even about emotional response 
it's really, you know, just clicks and beats and your, and your body automatically is responding to that. My hope is that people listening, first of all, can have some grace and compassion for themselves in the midst of all that we've faced, that we recognize that there's a lot of stigma that we carry internalized as therapists that keep us from acknowledging what our body and our minds really need. And that all of us have cravings. Yes. All of us have, if you want to say addictions and, and things that we turn to, to soothe. And my hope is that you've gotten a few ideas from Tim with how to use music for, for that and that it's accessible not just for you, but for your clients. And now more than ever, um, we have to turn on awareness of ways to heal ourselves through this. Because again, what when things will get better is in suspense, you know? And, and that's, so, I mean, we all have different opinions of when things will resolve, but either way, we know that tomorrow, we're still going to be in the midst of a pandemic, but even beyond when this pandemic is resolved, we are all facing different traumas and mm -hmm. challenges in our life. And those cravings get put online more than ever when those things come up. And for you to add ways to soothe and to comfort yourself and heal, I think is important. And if music can be one of those things, what a beautiful thing, because it's accessible and, um, and does change your life. I know it has for me. So what are, I know you have a summit coming up if you want to share about what that is about that some of our people would want to attend. Sure. So we're hosting the Stress Elimination Summit Recovery Edition, uh, January 25th through 29th. Uh, it's a five-day online free summit uh, featuring 30 different experts who are going to be talking to people who are in recovery, who who kind of are already walking a conscious path towards walking away from habits or behaviors that weren't working for them and walking toward new habits and behaviors that do. Um, you don't have to have gotten a chip to get in to the summit, but it, it's, it's very much like we're, we're targeting this because the number one indicator for craving is stress. And since your body's not designed to withstand cravings, it's the number one indication for relapse. And relapse carries tremendous shame and can, can be a tremendously dangerous, life-threatening thing, depending on what it is you're walking away from. So we want to help protect people in recovery during these times where the global increase in stress is just, you know, we don't have, it's not debatable. You know, we're all feeling it in a qualitative way. Uh, and so we're going to focus on three very specific areas. One is how to uh, address, identify, address, and heal the trauma in your past, whether that's big T trauma or little t trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because a lot of us may not fully grasp the difference between, you know, these kind of acute traumatic moments in life and these kind of chronic like micro traumas that occurred. And then the difference between, you know, abuse and neglect as forms of trauma, right? So like kind of digging in and, and looking and unearthing probably at least six different speakers who are going to be looking at trauma through different lenses. Mm. So how to heal your past and then how to create a compelling future. Like humans are meaning making machines. 
Like we need to make meaning for ourselves in our life. We need to find purpose and purpose is a created activity. You, you don't react your way into purpose. You create purpose in your life. So how do you, how do you calm yourself down enough to where you can be in a creative mode and really create a future that just pulls you into being? And as opposed to trying to run away from a past, because a lot of people are just outrunning their past in recovery, as opposed to moving towards a created future. And then the last thing is the power of rhythm as a tool of recovery and not in a musical term. So people who struggle with habits and behaviors, there's a rhythm to that habit. So they have a drink after work. That's a rhythm. Or they right. sit on the couch and they hit they, the Netflix they hit, uh, Yeah, or both, right? They'll mm -hmm. stack behaviors. You know, it's really common, right? We'll stack behaviors. Um, they'll get on their phone after they put the kids to bed and then they'll doom scroll on their phone every night before they go to bed. They're on their phone instead of in a book or meditating or, you know. So it, those are just rhythms. And so a rhythm is just a repeated pattern of behavior. And so we're going to have a lot of different speakers looking at what are the best practices from different angles, like what are recovery rhythms? How do you, how do you become more resilient? How do you insulate yourself from relapse? Because you really can build a practice of health because health is just a practice. Mm -hmm. You can build that slowly, incrementally, and really protect yourself over time from when stress really strikes you the hardest. And uh, there's no more compelling time to be like taking a good, honest look at that than right now. Mm -hmm. Well, I will include the information to the summit in the show notes. Cool. Um, but yeah, if yes. you haven't met Tim before, please go check him out um, at sonicrecovery.com. And um, there's so much to learn from each other. And I'm hoping that this continues to address the stigma and the shame that a lot of us carry we're all in it together and we're all facing a lot of struggles and stress together and so i i feel like um thank you for offering a bit of hope and inspiration to doing something a little different for ourselves as we all seek to recover um, from everything that we've faced recently and continue to face um and We'll see everybody on the next episode. Thank you, Tim, for being here. Thanks again for having me.